Matthew 16 this morning. A boss, a boss said to one of his employees, uh, Sir, uh, are you a believer? Oh, yes, uh, I believe. Do you have faith? Yes, I, I have faith. Uh, uh, well, do you believe in life after death? The employee said, Oh, yes, sir, I do. Well, then that makes everything okay, the boss said. After you took the day off uh, yesterday for your mother's funeral, she stopped in just to say hello. <laughs> Beliefs. Believing. What do you believe? We shared last week in our new series, we believe that we ultimately live out what we believe. You will be a recipient one day of a culmination of a lifetime of believing. Our believing will forms our values. Our values ultimately transact into our actions and into our attitudes. What do you believe? What do you believe? We're studying, we're looking at Lakeside's core beliefs. It's amazing how many in the church today, how many Christians really do not know what their convictions are, what they believe. And here in the pulpit and here at Lakeside over the next few weeks, we are declaring, we're sharing our core beliefs as a church. This morning, we share another one of those, it's what we believe about Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a liar, lunatic, or Lord? Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray, grant us ears to hear what you are saying in this hour. Amen. Amen. I want to move quickly in this first part this morning for those that might be attending this morning and you, in your heart of hearts, you are saying, Pastor, I can only believe it if I see it. I need proofs. The deity of Jesus Christ. Eternity's most important question concerns the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Who do people say I am? Well, the Mormons, if you ask them, Jesus is a good man, not conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's, a he's the, product, the product of a resurrected Adam who had sexual relations with Mary, the mother of Jesus. He is not eternal, and Jesus is not divine. He is not co-equal with God. 
If you were to ask the Jehovah Witnesses who come knocking at your door, they will tell you that Jesus was a good man, not God, not equal to God. He died on the cross, but he did not resurrect from the dead. If you were to question our Muslim friends, they would tell you Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than an apostle of God, a prophet only to the nation Israel, while Muhammad is the last and greatest prophet to the whole world world. If you were to quiz the New Agers, the New Agers would say Jesus was a good man, a great teacher, one of the ascended masters, one of the ways to God. Episcopalian Bishop John Spong claims Christ was a good man but not God. He contends the gospel writers never intended to have their writings taken seriously. And fundamentalist Orthodox Christians like you and I who believe otherwise are uninformed, unquestioning, and ignorant. And ignorant. Dan Brown's bestseller, The Da Vinci Code, it promotes the idea that Jesus faked his resurrection. He had children by Mary Magdalene. He's definitely not God, just a man. And years ago, years ago, if you remember Martin Scorsese, he produced, directed the film, The Last Temptation of Christ. Martin says this about Jesus, a good man, unsure of his destiny, indecisive, confused, weak character, plagued by self-doubt, and overcome by sexual fantasy. But Jesus... Jesus isn't necessarily interested in what others think. He wants to know what you think. Who do you say that Jesus is? What do you believe of him? Matthew 16, 15, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, thou art the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I want there to be no doubt. Lakeside Assembly of God believes what Peter confessed. We believe that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Divine, complete in deity and humanity. Christianity is not worth the effort if Jesus is not who he said he is. Lord of lords and King of kings. Jesus, Son of God, Messiah. Christ. It means that God has visited planet earth in human form and real life in the here and now. And eternal life is utterly dependent upon Jesus. Why do we believe? Why do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Because you were told by a preacher? Because you signed a membership card? And you ascribe to the beliefs of this church because uh, uh, you were taught by your Sunday school teacher or your parents to believe that? Why do you believe that Jesus is who he said he claimed to be? We believe in the deity of Jesus because Jesus openly declared he was the Son of God. Do you recognize that when we look at the world's great religions... We find something very unique and interesting. Buddha never, ever claimed to be God. Abraham never, the founder of the Jewish faith, never claimed to be Jehovah. 
Muhammad, Muhammad never ever identified himself co-equal with Allah. Yet a carpenter, a simple carpenter who came out of the little town of Nazareth in Galilee announced to the whole world that he who has seen me has seen the Father. Only Jesus, think of it, of the world's great religions. He is the only founder of a religion, Christianity, and he claims to be the Son of God, co-equal with God, God in flesh. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You see, there are those who claim that Jesus never declared himself to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, you have said so. But I say unto all of you from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Think of it. They asked Jesus, are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. She said to Jesus, the woman at the well, are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well? Jesus said, I will give you living water from which you'll never, ever thirst again. They said to him, Moses gave our ancestors manna, bread in the wilderness. Will you give us bread? Jesus said, think not that it was Moses who gave your ancestors manna, but my Father in heaven gave them bread from on high. I am the bread of life. They asked, are you greater than the prophets? He said, I have come to complete the prophets. And if Solomon, Solomon was the wisest of them all, behold, uh, greater than Solomon is here. Greater than Abraham, greater than Jacob, greater than Moses, greater than Solomon, greater than the prophets, greater than the greats of the entire past. Jesus is greater. How? He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Hallelujah! We believe in the deity of Jesus because he pointed to his miracles as proof of his divinity. Jesus said in John 10, 38, If I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Did you hear that? Jesus performed miracles unlike any other. We believe Jesus was God in flesh because he forgave sins. Mark 2, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God can forgive sins. I want you to note the prophets, the angels, the apostles never, ever took on that divine prerogative in the Bible. Only Jesus took on the divine prerogative of forgiving sins. Why? He's God in flesh. We believe in Jesus' deity because he received worship. Matthew 28, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Again, no angel, no prophet, no apostle, no man or woman of God ever 
received worship in the Bible. Only the Son of Man, Christ Jesus. The disciples and the other followers of Jesus have left us with eyewitness testimony of Jesus being God. Peter himself said, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Did you know that the signs in heaven, God put signs in the heavens at the birth and the death of Jesus, testifying of his absolute uniqueness as the Son of God. Jesus' birth, as you know, and we celebrated it at Christmas, was marked by the appearance of the Bethlehem star. It was seen in the skies by ancient astronomers. We have records of ancient astronomers seeing this bright object in the sky from China all the way to Rome. The occurrence of darkness at Jesus' crucifixion. Luke 23, it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole earth until the ninth hour. How many hours is that? Three hours. Three hours. How long did the solar eclipse last this this past week? Oh, just a matter of minutes. This phenomena of darkness over the planet was confirmed by secular historians, both in Rome, in, in Egypt, uh, in Greece. Thallus, the Roman historian Thallus in A.D. 52, wrote this, and I quote, The darkness totally covered the face of the earth at the time of the Passover in A.D. 32. The issue is this. These historians, these historians said that it was due to a solar eclipse. Well, that's impossible. We don't know anywhere in astronomy history of an eclipse lasting three hours plus it is absolutely impossible for a solar eclipse to take place during a Jewish Passover all Jewish Passovers were to be held under a time of full moon it is astronomically impossible for there to be a solar eclipse while there is a full moon occurrence this darkness was supernatural this darkness was god's identifying mark that an eternal transaction was taking place at the cross jesus became poor that you might become rich he was being forsaken that you might be accepted he died so that you and i might live hallelujah to christ on the cross amen the sudden transformation of the disciples is another proof of the deity of Jesus Christ. How would you describe the disciples uh, before the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Before the day of Pentecost. They deserted Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They hid in the upper room. They were filled with fear for their own deaths. Now that Jesus had been crucified. But after the resurrection, and especially the day of Pentecost, we see a new boldness. We see a new courage. We see transformation. They were willing to lay down their lives, as all of them did. Not for a con. Not for a flim-flam. Not for the greatest hoax 
ever hoisted on human history. They would not lay down their lives for a hoax. They laid down their lives for the real thing that Jesus died upon the cross but is now resurrected from the dead. He is not he is not a hoax, a liar, or a lunatic. He is Lord. I love, I love when I'm dealing with the atheist. I love, and I did this on the plane, coming back from California recently. I love showing prophetic fulfillment as another proof that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you recognize and realize there are 456 of the Bible's prophecies that foretell of the coming of the Messiah? For instance, consider the case of Dr. Peter Stoner, the mathematical and astronomical professor who was a Bible skeptic and atheist and sought to disprove the credibility of Jesus as being divine by showing that Jesus did not fulfill the prophecies of the Bible. As he examined the 456 messianic prophecies, he noted that 48 of those prophecies were loaded with specificity, detail. Such as, and I've shared this, I believe, just even last week, that Jesus was born a Jew of the tribe of Judah in the little town of Bethlehem. That Jesus would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. That Jesus would be crucified between two thieves and buried in a rich man's tomb, and so forth and so on. What are the mathematical odds of probability that one soul, by sheer chance, by sheer human happenstance, could fulfill all 48 of those detailed prophecies. One chance, one chance in a hundred and one chance in 10 with 157 zeros behind it. I counted every one of those and typed every single one. A number that is so astronomically enormous, incredible, and epic that we cannot wrap our minds around it in comprehension. A number that is so vast, it is larger than the number of atoms estimated to be in the known universe. What does it all mean? By the laws of mathematical probability, it is simply impossible for 48 prophecies to be fulfilled by sheer chance alone. This revelation ended up changing Dr. Stoner's life. He concluded, and I quote, any man who rejects Jesus as the Son of God is rejecting a fact, proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world, end quote. Never let anyone convince you that Jesus was merely a good person. Don't let them get away with that. Don't let your teacher, don't let your co-worker, don't let your friends ever relegate Jesus to merely a good person, a good teacher who is unjustly put to death. Jesus did not give us that option. He said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He said he was God in flesh. So, either his claims were false, making him a lunatic or a liar. And how could Jesus do what he did? How could he say what he said and be a lunatic and a liar? Or Jesus is just who he claimed to be. Lord of lords and King of kings. The Savior of the world. The Lamb of God. So you have a choice. Either Jesus' claims were true or false. 
you are stuck with the certainty that his claims were true. Now, the options are this. Will you accept him or will you reject him? Will you accept him or will you reject him? The early church was so convinced that Jesus' claims were authentic and true that by the droves, they went into the Roman Colosseums. They were wrapped up in the hides of animals and torn apart by wild beasts. Entire families, mothers, fathers, little children chose to be tied to stakes and burned alive and become the torches that lit up Roman uh, uh, Emperor Nero's banquets. Why did they do that? Did they do that with uncertainty? Did they do that uh, wondering if Jesus was a hoax, uh, a flim-flam, the greatest con that the world has ever seen? Or did they do it with certainty, knowing that they know that they know Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God. And even today, what do you believe? What are your convictions? Do you stand daily upon the truth? That Jesus is who he said he was. If Jesus is the Son of God, if God has visited our planet in human flesh, then it should radically transform your life and cause you to stand up for Jesus no matter what the cost is. Joe Kennedy knows all about that. High school football coach Joe Kennedy for years has been ending the football games of his high school with prayer. He does not pressure, command, order, or even ask anyone to pray with him. He does not ask his players to pray with him. They voluntarily join him in prayer on the 50-yard line after the game is all done. Praising the Lord for His protection, His goodness, His grace. Dozens of students, scores of football players over the years have joined Coach Joe Kennedy in prayer. But now the ninth District Court, Federal District Court, the most liberal court in the land, has ruled that his prayers are unconstitutional constitutional and he has been put on administrative leave and suspended this is the land that we now live in but uh, Joe Kennedy coach Joe Kennedy he's not bowing or kowtowing to what they are doing he's standing up why because he believes that Jesus is Lord and there is none other hallelujah what you believe about Jesus should make a difference in your walk and talk. That's why the confession of the early church is Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. Would you say it with me out loud? Uh, would you read it with me out loud? Would you say it with confidence and joy out loud? Are you ready? When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus uh, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus 
Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Give him praise and glory. Hallelujah. Do you know Jesus? Or you do, do you just know about him? I've been teaching good doctrine this morning. Regretfully, we have countless Christians coming up through our ranks in the assemblies of God. They know assembly of God doctrine. They know the teaching. They know the beliefs. But they don't know Jesus, the one behind the beliefs. A friend, a friend asked Mrs. Albert Einstein if she understood the theory of relativity, M, uh, uh, E equals MC square. She said, are you kidding? No, not at all, she answered. But I know my husband. I know Albert, and he can be trusted. There's many things I do not know. And neither shall I know them this side of glory. But this one thing I do know, I know my Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you have you settled just for an intellectual acquisition of knowledge about him? Have you settled just for mere mental assent regarding his nature and his divinity? Or do you walk can talk with him? Do you have intimacy with him? And you know that you know that you know him. Knowing Jesus is knowing his name. And there's no other name like Jesus. Say his name with me. Jesus. For years we've done baby dedication. Blessing children from birth. Alexandra Leone, who just sang, is a product of our baby dedication time. And, and my wife has a book that's called What is in a Name? And we usually describe and define the names of the babies each and every baby dedication. What is in the name of Jesus? As you know his name, it reveals his character, his love, his power. When you really know Jesus, write it down, you know him as the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Yesterday I was getting the cottage ready for a very special group that is coming to our cottage this afternoon, the deacons and their wives. My, my, my. I was working so hard this uh, last couple of days to get ready for this select group. And uh, I, I, was, I lifted up the door of the porch, our front porch that leads down into our water well. Uh, uh, into our pump, I should say, into the pump. A and I couldn't see anything. It was black, that Michigan 
basement, which if you know what a Michigan basement is, you just have the floor of your home and underneath that is dirt. It's just a crawl space, just enough for you to crawl through. I've never been down there. I wondered what was down there. And thank God I love the feature on the cell phone known as the flashlight. I use it a lot, don't you? And I, I put that camera, uh, that cell phone, that flashlight down there, and I took one look. It looked so nasty. Pastor Hal, spiders as big as a man's hand. That's preacher exaggeration there, but big ones. Nasty, nasty Christian. And I said, when I shone that light down there, I ain't going there. I'll pay for somebody to crawl down. I ain't going there. No way, Jose. <laughs> Except Ryan, my son-in-law. I'll send him there. <laughs> you think I'm preaching long? He must be preaching the second service. I don't think he's even in this service, is he? Oh, yeah, he's still, yeah, he was supposed to preach this. He may must be having a revival over there, or he'd be here, yeah. Yeah. The light of the world re reveals Jesus in his divine guidance. Psalms 119, 105, we gave it last week. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Uh, Israel understood how light guided them. The pillar of fire by night would guide the children of Israel. The pillar of cloud by day. At creation, the Bible says, the world was formless, dark, and void. But then God the Father said, let there be light. When you know Jesus as your light, there's no dark corners in your pathway. Listen, when you know Jesus as the light of the world, there's no valley of decision that is so great that His wisdom, His guiding wisdom is not greater still. You know that despite uh, the uncertainty of all of your tomorrows, the light of the world holds tomorrow in His hands. Don't worry about tomorrow. God, your Jesus, is already there. Hallelujah. And He's on the throne, and everything's going to be all right. When you know Jesus as the light of the world, you know that there's no darkness, there's no depression, there's no despair, there's no disillusionment, there's no sense and spirit of defeat that He cannot dispel. Let His light shine upon the dark corners of your heart. Let His light shine upon the dark diagnosis that the doctor just gave you. Open up your life to the light of the world. He who is your light, He will bring a radiance, a brightness. He will, hallelujah, dispel the depression that would like to drown you and bring a light and a joy to your smile and your eyes and set your feet upon a sure path. Young people, young adults, your greatest decisions will be made in the next 10 years. Decisions of where to go to school, what career, what vocation, what person you shall marry. Cry to the light of the world to light your pathway so that your direction may be sure. Acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways. Uh, trust in the Lord always. Uh, lean not to your own understanding, but trust in Him and He shall direct your path. 
The old sea captains in the time of storm, like what's happening in Houston right now, when the skies were darkened and they could not use the North Star as a compass, when they could not see the sun or the moon to direct their pathway. The old sea captains, when the rain and the gale force winds would blow, would lash themselves, tie themselves to the helm of the ship, and they'd look for the lighthouse. Uh, they'd fix their pathway on the lighthouse house they would fix their focus on the light and steer that boat to safety some of you are going through some raging storms as I speak you're going through some bad reports some bad diagnoses you're going through some difficult situations lash yourself to the word of God and the person of his promise lash yourself tie yourself to the love of God in Christ Jesus and fix your eyes upon him him, the light of the world and you will know no danger he shall protect you he shall go with you if God before you who can be against you hallelujah hallelujah I'm talking about the light of the world Jesus our Lord he is your light he is your pathway. He exposes the works of darkness. When you really know Him, fix your eyes upon Him. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the protector, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, uh, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the light of the world. Fix your eyes upon Him. Knowing Jesus is knowing Him as your Lord of peace. Your Lord of peace. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you His peace at all times and in every situation. Don't you know we need peace today? Did you hear about the police officer that was uh, patrolling uh, US 23? US 23 and he noticed not a speedster he noticed a group of elderly ladies driving at 23 miles an hour on US 23 knowing that a slow car can be just as deadly as a fast car he pulled the ladies over and he asked the driver, the dear elderly woman, for her license and registration insurance certificate. And he said, ma'am, I want you to know that uh, driving slow is just as dangerous as speeding. She said, I was driving the speed limit. The speed limit, the road sign says 23 miles an hour. He said, my dear lady, that is the road number. That is the route number, US 23. Then he happened to notice the ladies sitting in the back seat. They were crying. Their hair was pulled out everywhere. They were acting scared to death, shaking all over. And he said, well, ladies, ladies, what's wrong? Why are you so scared? Why are you so fearful? They said, we just got off 696. <laughs> 696. 696. 
Is life, is life leaving you feeling at peace or in pieces? If we were to quiz you this morning, are you at peace or in pieces? I look forward to my day off. Thursday night is a special time for me. Thursday night would be akin to your Friday night. Because Friday is my one day off each and every week. And we usually go to the, to the cottage. And I was looking so forward to being with my honey, my dear Rebecca, this weekend at the cottage to get ready for that select group, the board of deacons and their wives. And, and I was so looking forward to it. And uh, as I got home and... Uh, I, I thought about how we, you know, our, our vacation this summer there was with family. Uh, her family, my family. Uh, our California trip was with family. Uh, our family. And I thought, I haven't had any time alone with my sweetheart. And so I was anxious getting home Thursday night. And uh, she wasn't there, and I called her. I said, where are you at? She said, I'm picking up the grandsons. I said, why are you picking up the grandsons? They're spending the weekend with us. It was an entire, entire weekend of, Grandpa, why is the sky blue? Grandpa, why is the grass green? Grandpa, why, why, why? Grandpa, will you untangle my fishing pole? And then Friday night, which is our date night, she says, I'm going to Marshall's and you're babysitting the boys. <laughs> I've given them $2 each and you're supposed to take them to the dollar store, shopping for what they want to buy. And uh, it was such an impactful moment, I took a picture of it. And uh, there they are at the dollar. We're a big spenders, says Chris. And uh, they could buy anything they wanted to buy with their $2. And this is what they bought to bless my weekend. Jack bought two hatchets, and Logan bought two swords. And that's what it was like in the back seat of the car, the whole way back to the cottage. Stress. Do you feel more stressed than blessed? Stress will give you sleepless nights. Stress will fill your face with wrinkles before your time and make your dermatologist a zillionaire. Stress. It's been the mother to ulcers, colitis, heart disease, and even cancer. Stress. It's given countless Christians appointments with the funeral home long before their appointed time. It's a storm within our minds, our body, our soul, and our spirit. But Jesus is a specialist with the storms. Hallelujah. As the Lord of peace, he stood up in the midst of that Galilee storm in that boat. And remember what he said to the storm? No, he said, shut up. Because the Greek has special force. The Greek structure of peace be still is the same language structure he used when he cast out demons. It was a satanic storm, so he told the storm, he told Satan to shut up. 
And that's what you need to do in the name of Jesus. Peace be still. But the real miracle took place then afterwards. You know, you can have a storm stop, but I know living on the water, the waves will still crash against the rocks and against the shoreline. Read with me Mark 4.39. After Jesus said, Peace be still, Mark 4.39, and it was completely what? And that's what it'll do for you. Let the Lord of peace speak into your life. When you really know Him as the Lord of peace, He doesn't give you peace as a commodity. For He is peace. He gives you Himself. His presence is peace. Let Him breathe into your storms. Let Him walk upon the waters with you this morning. Again, He's up upon the throne. And everything's going to be all right. He knows more about the details of what you're going through than any expert or any doctor or any individual. He's in control. Trust Him. He is the Lord of peace. When you really know Jesus, you know His all authority. All authority. If I was to endorse a blank check right now and give it to you, how much money would you have? Not much. <laughs> Not much at all. But who's the richest man on the planet again for the umpteenth time in a row? They just announced it. Bill Gates. If you got an endorsed blank check from Bill Gates and you could fill the amount in in any amount you'd like to fill in, honey, you could be a billionaire. Jesus has given you a blank check. Jesus has endorsed it with His very person. Jesus has given you and I His name to use as we transact kingdom business before our most holy God. Jesus said in John 14, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Let the Father make be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I will do it. Do it. Yet there's probably no phrase that's more abused or misused than when countless Christians who do not understand how to use this transaction in prayer, there's probably no phrase that's more misused than in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus is not a magical formula to tack on to your holy wish list before God. In the name of Jesus is not some mindless liturgy. When you pray in the name of Jesus, it's praying with understanding of who He is and who you are. It moves beyond praying with power. Listen, witches have power. Satanists can pray with power. Demons have power. You let a rhino get loose in your kitchen, that rhinoceros has power, but it has no right being there. Jesus not only has power, Jesus has all authority. Jesus said within the Bible, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. How much authority does that leave old slew foot the devil? Zero, zilch, nada. 
Jesus has been given all authority. Does the enemy have power? Oh yes. But Jesus has all the rights, the privileges. He has all the authority. Praying in the name of Jesus is being granted the spiritual power of attorney to transact kingdom business in his name. You might say, I'm sick. He says, by my stripes you shall be healed. I am your healer. You might say, I'm poor. I'm broke. I'm bankrupt. I'm busted. He says, I am your provider. I will supply all of your needs according to my riches in glory. I shall make you the head and not the tail. You might say, I'm addicted. Uh, uh, I'm hooked. He says, I am your deliverer. I am the lion of the tribe of Judah and I still break every chain. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Well, I'm a sinner. He says, I'm your Savior. I'm your all in all. And I have all authority in heaven and in earth. When we pray in the name of Jesus, His presence is released. Mountains move. Strongholds are torn down. Demons tremble. Hallelujah. And God makes a way where there seems to be no way. Knowing Jesus as our bridegroom, is enjoying intimacy with Him as the lover of our soul. Listen, a healthy marriage is far more than duty, responsibility, vows, and commitment. A healthy marriage is romance with a capital R. That's what I was looking forward to this weekend. I got Jack and Logan. Christianity is far more than rules. Christianity is far more than do's and don'ts. Christianity is far more than I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't run around with gals that do. The world thinks that all we're about is a bunch of rules and do's and don'ts. Christianity is all about intimacy. It's all about a love relationship with the lover of our soul. It's not a long-distance affair. It's close-up and personal. The Gospels, the Epistles of Paul, and the book Revelation all give the title of bridegroom to Jesus. Matthew 25 says this, At midnight they were roused by the shout, Look! The bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. Hallelujah! That is not just a future reality. That's a present day reality. He reveals himself to you and I, not just as Lord of Lords, not just as Alpha and Omega. He is your bridegroom, the lover of your soul. In ancient times, parents would arrange marriages. In ancient times, fathers would go out looking for a bride for their sons and then pay a huge dowry to the father of the bride to ransom that bride for a son. God the Father has been seeking a bride for His Son. How did He go about doing it? 
John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How, how much were we worth to Jesus? What kind of dowry was paid for us to become the bride, the sweetheart, the love interest of Jesus? How much was He willing to pay? How much did He love us? 1 Peter 1, the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver, MasterCard or Visa, as you very well know, but he paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Oh, give him praise and glory. Such is his love for us. Hallelujah. Just as a bride on her wedding day longs to be held in the tender embrace of her sweetheart bridegroom. Our Lord desires to be adored by you. He desires to be cherished by you, loved by you. When was the last time in prayer or praise that you stopped giving your shopping list, your wish list, you stopped uh, praying for health and wholeness, which is all right. You stopped praying for your unsaved loved ones, which is very good, fine, and right. But you just spent time in His presence cherishing Him, loving Him, adoring Him, exalting Him, having a close-up personal affair with the lover of your soul, intimacy, with Jesus. For His love, His love, His love just won't let you go. His love won't let you go. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible said. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Lo, I am with you even to the end of time. Many of you might remember the reports that came out years ago, Central Florida, Every day, a young lad would come home from school and he'd swim back and forth in the cool waters of the pond in his backyard. He'd swim lap after lap, enjoying the refreshing waters behind his house. As he was doing so, one afternoon after school, his mother, washing the dishes, casually looked out the kitchen window, and to her shock and horror, she saw her son frantically doing a detour in that body of water as a long head and a long tail was rapidly advancing upon him. Her son was screaming. She went running out of the kitchen and her son was able to reach shore, but just as he reached shore, the jaws of that big gator clamped down upon his legs. But mommy, mommy was able to run up and grasp his arms in his hands, and then a tug of war ensued back and forth. Gator, mommy, gator, mommy, Gator, mommy, and mommy just wouldn't let go. And she won the battle. The boy was lacerated from head to foot. 
months in the hospital. And when the TV news crew came to interview him, he showed them the scars from the gator. He showed them the lacerations, the tooth marks from that living, living monster. But he said, but these are the scars I'm really proud of. And he opened up his shirt and showed the news reporter where mom had hung on and just refused to let go. She hunkered down with her nails and fingers and had left lifelong scars upon his limbs and upon his chest. Calvary, the cross. Out of the darkness of the cross, there came a cry. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he was forsaken, that we might be accepted. As he became a sinner, so that we could become a saint. As he died, that we might live. A tug of war took place at the cross. Satan desperately wanted you, wanted your family, wanted your children. A tug of war took place between his love and the enemy's power. This power struggle was so fierce and horrendous, Jesus in the garden even said, if this cup can pass by me, not my will but thine be done. But then, then out of the darkness there comes another cry. It is finished as Jesus won the tug of war and you and I were ransomed, redeemed, set free. Hallelujah. There's no power greater than the power of the blood. The blood will never lose its power. Amen. Jesus, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. There's no greater name. There's no other name. Do you really know Him? Do you know what the name of Jesus means? In Acts chapter 4 we read, For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I'm going to let Don Wagge close this message for there's no other name.
the first and last beginning and the end he was the king who made the common man his friend there is no Sacrifice for man. There is no other name. Let every tongue proclaim and sing the name of Jesus. Magnify and praise the name of Jesus.
you stand with me this morning. Glory to God. Know their name like the name of Jesus. Father, we ask and pray even right now as we speak in your name. Come, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Wrap your warm arms of love around the hurting, the sick, the weary, the lost that are here this morning. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Perhaps you've come into this service. Perhaps there's much maybe you do not understand. But there's one thing you do know. Jesus is who He said He was and is. The Son of God. The living Savior. How about it? What will you do with His love that just won't let go of you? Even now, He's knocking at the door of your heart. You know, I don't know what Jesus looks like. But I'll know Him by His scars. His love scars. Where He just would not let go. The nail prints in His hands. He so loves you. Today, right now, this moment, what will you do with His love? Isn't it time you said yes to Jesus? Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow could be too late. How about it? Would you like to be right with God? Are you sure that heaven is your home? If there's any uncertainty about your relationship with the Lord or a home in heaven, I will pray a prayer. I'm prepared to pray a prayer that will make you right with God and give you a home in heaven. All you have to do is show your faith. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. If you would like to be included in a prayer that will change you and make you right with God, in a home in heaven, would you just lift up your hand so that God can see it? It's a sign of your faith. If you'd like to be included in this prayer, just lift up your hand right now. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you, honey. I see that hand. How many more? Thank you. I see that hand. I've been praying for you throughout this service this morning. God bless you. I'm not asking you to join this church. No one will embarrass you. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. You want to be included in a prayer that will change you for all eternity. Lift it up high that I may see it. Hallelujah. Precious Jesus. Keep those hands lifted up this morning as I pray this prayer. In fact, I want you to pray it with me. Everyone pray this prayer out loud. And for you that have your hands raised, make it your prayer. Own it. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now, just as I am. I confess I have sinned, but Jesus, you're my Savior. Save me from my sin. 
Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me brand new. I believe you paid the price for my sins at the cross. And I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. New life. I want that life, Jesus. A changed life. Jesus, I thank you that I'm born again. I've got a home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Amen.